Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Good to be with you this morning. I want to thank Anthony for uh, preaching last week. You know, Anthony always does such a powerful job, and I know you were all blessed uh, last week hearing him speak. I also want to say before I get started, this weekend, Memorial Day weekend, I hope that sometime this weekend or sometime tomorrow during your family time or you know, time with, uh, with friends or neighbors, that you're able to stop and, and really do remember the people that have sacrificed so much to us to have the freedom and the liberties that we have. God has really blessed America. And a lot of people have sacrificed their lives to make this a place where we have those kind of freedoms. And it's, it's up to us to make sure that we keep pointing each other back to God. So uh, we want to we remember that as well. I am sure that sometime in your life, probably sometime in the past month or so, you have heard someone tell you, just fake it. You know, you find yourself in a situation, you're not exactly sure what to do. Someone tells you, just fake it. You're in a predicament. You know, you're not exactly sure. You're a little bit over your head. I'm just going to fake it. I'm going to pretend like I know what I'm doing, and I'll see if I can't get by that way. Sociologists will tell you that almost everyone fakes it from time to time. We all want to act like we know a little bit more than we actually know. We want to act like we're a little bit more capable, a little bit more knowledgeable, a little bit more productive than we actually are. Just take a look at social media. Everybody fakes it, right? Everybody pretends. You look at your friends on social media, do you really think their lives are that perfect? Do you really think their vacations are that exciting? That their kids are that well-behaved? That their meals are that awesome? No, we all kind of pretend, don't we? You see it in relationships a lot. Now, we want to act like we're smarter than we really are, kinder than we really are. In fact, if you're willing not to fake it this morning, I think I can prove it to you. How many of you have ever been at home, you know, maybe watching TV, laying on the couch by yourself, and you hear a car door slam, or the garage door go up, and you know it's your spouse or a parent or something, and you turn off the TV and you jump up, so when they come in the door, you look like you've been doing something productive? Anybody ever do that? Yeah, okay, one. <laughs> or how many of you men have ever been talking to your mechanic and they're explaining to you what's wrong with your car? And you're nodding like, I'm right with you. I know exactly what you're talking about. I have never heard of the part that you are talking about. But yes, I understand. We don't understand. At least I don't understand, but I act like I do. Or how about this? You ever been driving? And you get a sense that the person in the lane next to you is trying to get your attention so that you'll let them in. But you have no intention of letting them in in front of you. So instead of acting like a jerk, you just act like an unobservant nice guy. You pretend that you don't notice and, you know, go on. Yeah, we all do that, right? Everybody pretends. Everybody fakes it from time to time. It even happens in the church, believe it or not. This morning, we're going to take a look at some people who, who were faking it when it came to their Christianity. And we're also going to take a look at what God has to think about people who, who pretend. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. I've been working our way through the book of Acts, and we are getting some glimpses of this amazing community 
that is being formed, this group of believers in Jesus. And at the end of chapter 4, we read about people who were actually selling their things and using the proceeds to help people that were in need. And it appeared that this is going on all the time. So we're going to pick it up today in Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. There was also a man named Ananias, who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, but he claimed that it was the full amount. His wife had agreed to this deception. Then Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell, as you wished. And after selling it, the money was yours to give away. And here's the question that you're going to kind of want to hold on to this morning. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. Verse 5. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. And here comes one of the great understatements of Scripture. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. <laughs> yeah, I bet they were. Then some young men wrapped, in, wrapped him in a sheet and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied. That was the price. And Peter said, and again, he's asking basically the same question as he asked her husband. How could the two of you even think of doing a thing like this, conspiring together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Just outside that door are the young men who buried your husband, and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and all others who heard what had happened. Now, it seems to me that this would be the perfect time to take up the collection. <laughs> but since we've already done that, we're going to move on. Now, actually, this is one of the more sobering passages that we'll read all through the book of Acts. Pay attention to what's happening. This new community is being formed, and people are being transformed. There is real change going on in the hearts and lives of people. People that didn't used to get along, they're getting along now. Old barriers and old walls and old prejudices are being torn down. And normal, everyday, kind of selfish, greedy people are actually looking for ways to help others. You know, selling their possessions, using the money to, to, to help other people who are in need. I talked a couple weeks ago about Christianity being amazing. What's going on here in the first part of Acts? It's amazing. I mean, outsiders would have looked at this new group and they would have said, wow, no, that, that, that's amazing. Remember, two weeks ago we talked about a man named Joseph who sold some property and brought that money to the elders and said, listen, use it however you can to help others. And the people said, wow, Joseph, you're amazing. In fact, we're not going to call you Joseph anymore. We're going to start calling you Barnabas because you're such an encouragement to us. You've given us so much joy. So now along comes this couple, Ananias and Sapphira. They see what's going on, and they think to themselves, you know, we'd kind of like to be thought of as amazing people too. We'd like for people to change our names. We want to be in the spotlight. 
We want to we have some of the accolades. Here's the first problem with Ananias and Sapphira. They didn't really want to become generous people. They just wanted to be known as generous people. They wanted this image of spirituality. This couple thought, you know, when people think of us, we want them to think highly of us. We want to be seen as a couple who really honors God. And we want to be seen as somebody who's strong and, and faithful in this new movement. We're serious about this thing. But the reality is they were just faking it. This morning I want to share with you just two observations about this couple, Ananias and Sapphira. And the first is this. This couple did not fear God. They didn't fear God. Chapter 5, verse 4, kind of the, the key phrase where, where Peter's words are, what made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to men, but to God. What made you think of doing such a thing? Have you ever had a parent tell you that? You ever done something that you knew you shouldn't and your mom gives you that look? What were you thinking? Did you just do that? What were you thinking? That's what Peter's asking Ananias. What were you thinking? And, and I think he's sincerely wondering. I think he is sincerely wondering. Ananias, what were you thinking? How could, how could you be involved in this group? How could you hang around here with us and not see what God is doing. You've seen God's power at work. You've seen the signs. You've seen the wonders. You've listened to the earth-shattering prayers that are being preached in the, er, prayed in this place. You've seen God involved right here, right now, in a very real way. Can you be that insincere in the presence of God? A God who is so good, so wonderful, so involved in, in this movement. Ananias, don't you fear God? And I'm not talking about being afraid of God. I'm, I'm asking, don't you have a, a reverence for God? Don't you have a deep respect for God, a sense of wonder and awe? Ananias, there's no God like our God. His wisdom, His majesty, His sovereignty, His mercy, His love. We serve an awesome God. Now think about creation. God said, let there be light, and there was light. No other power can do that. No other power can speak things into existence. Could you imagine having that kind of power to be able to speak things into existence? You go out to the parking lot, and you see your old beater, let there be a Mercedes. And there's a Mercedes. That would be good. You look into the mirror, let there be hair. And there's hair. That would be good. That's God. That's the God that we serve. God speaks things into existence. When I was in college, I took an astronomy class, kind of an elective. I didn't really learn very much in that astronomy class, but I do remember one part of that class. We were taken to a planetarium. You know those places where you sit back and you, you look up at the ceiling and they, they, uh, they put the cosmos up there on the ceiling and, and we're all there, you know, a bunch of college kids and we're looking back at the ceiling, laying back and it's dark and they put just the expanse of space up there on the ceiling. And the professor is there and he takes a, a pin light and he, he put an image, puts an image of it, just a tiny dot, tiny dot up on the ceiling and we're all staring at this tiny dot. 
He said, that's our galaxy. That dot represents the Milky Way. And then he, he tightened that in just a pinpoint. And he said, that pinpoint represents our solar system. He said, now let me make it much, much smaller. And it got to where we couldn't even see it. And he said, there's, a, there's another spot right up there. If you're looking hard, maybe you can see it, which we couldn't. He said, that's Earth. That pinpoint that you really can't see represents Earth in the cosmos. And as we sat kind of leaning back, looking up, trying to find that little pinpoint, the professor said, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And I really don't remember anything else about that class. I can't identify any planets or stars or anything, but I remember sitting in that dark room, looking up at that expanse of space and being reminded, what is man that thou art mindful of him? You know, you look at a sunset, you look at a, a rainbow, you look at the way we are fearfully and wonderfully made on the molecular structure, all the science that God spoke into existence. And you get a sense not just of the bigness of God, but you also get a real sense of just the smallness of me. And the fact that we serve a God who is so big and yet pays such close attention to someone like me. Can you see why Peter asked Ananias, what made you think of doing such a thing? Don't you fear God? Let me take you back to the Old Testament. The prophet Isaiah, who very famously said in Isaiah chapter 6, In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. And the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. In the Hebrew language, they had a way of emphasizing things. You know, in our English language, if we want to emphasize something, we, we draw a line under it or we put it in a bold font. They used repetition. That's why you remember Jesus would say, truly, truly, I say unto you. Now he'd repeat that. This is really important. Listen. To repeat something twice meant it was important. To repeat something three times meant it was of supreme importance. Only one attribute in Scripture is ever elevated this way. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. God is holy, holy, holy. He's not just holy. He's not just holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy. Interesting, Scripture never says that God is love, love, love. Never says God is wrath, 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 or justice, justice, justice. Never even says God is good, good, good. But Scripture does say that God is holy, holy, holy. Which is why Peter would say to Ananias, what made you think of doing such a thing? Don't you fear God? 
You know, we've all been around people, maybe it's at work, maybe it's at a, you know, a ball game or a restaurant or somewhere. We've all been around people who I call sort of creative cussers. You know, people who are really good at swearing. And uh, quite often you'll hear those creative cussers bring God's name into their profanity. And that always gets my attention. And it doesn't really make me angry, but it does make me sad. I don't know if they're trying to be impressive. I don't know if they're just probably the way they've always talked and really have never been taught differently. But I always think to myself when I hear God's name used that way, if you had any idea, if you had the slightest idea of who God is, you wouldn't be using His name that way. If you had the slightest inkling of who God is and what God has done and what God can do, you would be using His name with reverence and respect. God is holy, holy, holy. Ananias and Sapphira did not fear God. They didn't fear God and they didn't fool God either. Now they're trying to fool God here. Now they're running a scam. And it's really a pretty well thought out scam. They've discussed this ahead of time. It's well planned. Ananias says, I'll go in. I'll give the money. I'll tell them this is all we got. We're giving it all. You come in a little bit later. You back me up. So Peter tells Sapphira in verse 9, how could the two of you even think of doing a thing like this, conspiring together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Let me step sideways for just a second. Let me talk to uh, the married couples in the audience this morning. And by the way, I'm going to ask you a question, but don't raise your hand. Okay? In fact, I'm going to ask you a question. Don't even look at your spouse. Don't do this. Don't roll your eyes. None of that. But it's a question that really most every married couple can answer pretty easily. In your marriage, do one of you set the spiritual bar a little bit higher than the other? Is there, is there one of you who kind of sets the spiritual bar higher than your spouse? You know, maybe one of you might say, man, I've had such a long week. Can we not just sleep in on Sunday morning? And the other says, I don't know, I want to go worship. I want to be with the family. You know, they're asking for some help on Saturday, but I really need my weekends free. And the other one says, but, you know, we ought to use the gifts God's given us. We ought to volunteer. We ought to serve. You know, let's, let's bless someone else with all the things we've been blessed with. Or you start talking about money. You say, hey, you know, finances are tight. Got a vacation coming up. Let's back off on the giving a little bit. And the other one's saying, no, it's not about money. It's about the heart. God has blessed us. We just want to be good stewards of what He's blessed us with. Let's trust God. Do one of you set the bar a little bit higher than the other when it comes to spiritual matters? And the reason I ask the question is this. If you are married to someone, and in your heart you say, you know, they, they kind of set the bar higher when it comes to spiritual things, you need to thank God for that spouse. That is such a blessing to have someone encourage you in the Lord. To have a spouse that encourages you to serve bigger, to live better, to love more deeply. To have a spouse that says, we're going to honor God because God is holy, holy, holy. That is a priceless blessing. And Ananias and Sapphira didn't have that. They didn't have somebody to kind of call them to a higher uh, plane. 
That's why Peter says, how could the two of you even think of doing such a thing like this? Do you really think you could fool God? And of course, God delivers a pretty strong message to the first century church surrounding Ananias and Sapphira there. And I think He's delivering a pretty strong message to the 21st century church as well. No pretending. You might fool everyone else. You're not going to fool me. You probably don't remember the name Timothy O'Brien. He was a 10-year-old boy that uh, died uh, several years ago now. He lived in Houston, Texas. Timothy O'Brien was just a normal, happy, healthy 10-year-old kid. He died two days after Halloween. And it was discovered that the reason he died, someone had poisoned some of the candy that that little boy had taken in Halloween. And he was killed by the poisoned candy. The family was devastated. Really, the only way they got through it was because of the strong faith, especially of the father, the dad. Dad went on, you know, publicly on, on television things, talking about they're going to they're going to count on God to get them through this. At the funeral, the father stood up and, and made a, a very passionate speech about his son, and he sang the old song that we used to sing, uh, "Blessed Assurance." We still sing that sometimes, but he changed the words when he sang it. And he sang it, this is Tim's story, this is Tim's song, praising his Savior all the day long. A few months later, it was discovered that the poison candy that that little boy ate came from the father. His own dad poisoned him. He'd taken out a life insurance policy on his son. And he murdered him for the money. This is Tim's story. This is Tim's song. Praising his Savior all the day long. Now, you might never get caught. You might cover your tracks perfectly and completely. You might fool everybody else. But you won't fool God. The Hebrew writer says this in Hebrews 4. He knows about everyone, everywhere. Everything about us is bare and wide open to the all-seeing eyes of our living God. Nothing can be hidden from Him to whom we must explain all that we have done. It's a pretty sobering thought, isn't it? He knows everything about us. Let me take you back to the Old Testament. King David. David is this guy had this incredible position of power. And one day he notices a very attractive woman. And David says, I want her. And I don't care who I have to hurt, but, but I want her. And so he uses his power. And he uses his possession, his position. And uh, he has an affair with this woman. And things get complicated because this woman's married. And she becomes pregnant. And so David murders her husband to try to cover the whole thing up. But God eventually gets David's attention and David eventually comes clean with God. He just opens up to God. He says, I'm going to quit trying to fake it. And notice what David writes in Psalm 139. O Lord, You have searched me and You know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in 
behind and before. You laid Your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from Your Spirit? Where can I flee from Your presence? If I go to the heavens, You're there. If I make my bed in the depths, You're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, Your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Now understand, David's not complaining here. David's not saying, God, I wish I could hide from you, but I can't. I wish I could get away from you, but I'm not able to. I think what David is saying here is, God, I'm tired of trying to hide from you. I'm tired of trying to pretend. I want to be honest. Search me. Know my heart. Know my thoughts. Point out anything that offends. Lead me in the paths of everlasting. Listen, the day you come to the conclusion, I'm going to quit faking it. I'm just going to quit pretending. The day you come to that realization, that's a good day. That's a very good day. When you get real with a God who knows everything about us anyway, it's a good day. So let's go back to Acts chapter 5. You know, in every life there comes a moment of truth. Every so often, and I guess everyone's life, there, there comes a moment of truth. For this woman, Sapphira, her moment of truth comes in verse 8. She enters the room. I'm sure she's expecting, you know, smiles and hugs, back slaps and high fives. So proud of you, so happy to have you with us. She walks into a room, instead of a joy, and instead of all these accolades, there's an awkward silence in the room. And everyone's staring at Sapphira. And then Peter says, tell me, was this the price? Was this the amount of money that you received for the sale of this property? Tell the truth. And I would think that everyone in the room sort of holds their breath to see what Sapphira is going to say. You know, this story could have had such a different ending, couldn't it? This woman could have chose life instead of death. She could have chose grace instead of fear. But she doesn't. She refuses to own up to the truth about who she is and what she's done, so, so she makes her choice. In every life, there comes a moment of truth. Maybe this morning you're facing a moment of truth. You're confronted with the question. You're confronted with the choice. What do I do? Do I keep trying to fake it? Do I keep trying to pretend? Or do I come clean with God? It comes down to a choice. Am I going to be real with God? Who knows everything about me anyway? You know, think of what would have happened if Ananias and Sapphira would have just said to Peter, you know what, Peter? We got a little sideways on this whole thing. And, you know, we, we kind of got caught up in something that we shouldn't have gotten caught up in. And we were selfish and we were self-serving and we're sorry. We want to repent of that. Think of how that story would have gone. If they'd have done that, they would have been able to receive the greatest gift that's ever been offered to mankind. Grace. I mean, that's what God wants, right? God wants us to repent. He already knows what we've done anyway. He already knows who we are. He knows our hearts. But God wants that all men everywhere repent. That's why He sent Jesus. 
Or think about this. What if they'd gotten away with it? What if nobody ever knew? And for the rest of the, you know, their lives, people say, well, Ananias and Sapphira, what a fantastic Christian couple. You know, they're so sacrificial. They're such a blessing. And everybody would always be talking about that. And that couple would be thinking, if only you knew. If you only knew the real me. If you only knew what's really in my heart. What we've done. The, the, the things that we've, we've not done. I don't know. Living with that kind of guilt it would be so depressing and so exhausting. If you only knew. It's not how God wants you to live your life. Again, God already knows who you are. He knows your heart. He knows what you've done. But He's not put off by it. But He doesn't want you to live that way. He's calling you to repentance. He says, I've got so much more to give you. There's so much more to life, such a more fulfilling, a full life. Receive my grace and my mercy. Let me forgive you. Let me heal you. But again, it comes down to a choice. Am I going to come clean with God? Or am I going to keep trying to fake it? Am I going to keep trying to pretend? Only you can make that decision. This morning, Dave's got a song that we're going to use, a song of encouragement. If we can help you in any way, if we can pray with you, a family that loves you and, and loves the Lord, there'll be some people here at the front of the auditorium. And you can meet us there. Let's stand and sing.